All right, welcome. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? Um, why don't you try to guess? I would say you're probably tired, but you know what? I'm tired too because school started for me this past week, and it was uh, we started on a Wednesday, and it was brutal. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I am tired, not because of school, just because of life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I know that you've been, uh, you've been working on that Apple article. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. One of your favorite things is to talk about how corporations control our lives. And I always feel so sheepish when I thought about this because, um, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but I used to write mobile apps. I started off writing Blackberry apps and Android apps, and then I got into iPhone apps and, I mean, I think you've got an iPhone. I've got an iPhone. I would argue that probably many people have uh, iPhones or Android phones with lots and lots of apps in them. And that's actually a huge part of corporation control. Um, So, you know, when you have this great idea for an app, and I think everyone's had multiple great ideas for an app, you uh, spend the time writing it, you design it, put a lot of time and effort into polishing it, But at some point, you've got to actually put it onto one of these app stores. You've got to get it so that other people can download it. And that's this choke point that both Apple and Google have. And um, Google's a little bit more hands-off of where where it's, you can just kind of put things on the Google App Store or the Google Play Store. And if there's something wrong with it, they'll take it off. But the Apple App Review is uh, an opportunity for Apple to dictate what your app's do and sort of how they should fit within the Apple ecosystem. And again, this is all, you know, this is Apple's platform. This is Apple's technology. So I think it's within their realm to kind of uh, make this, these, these rules that you have to follow. But I think a lot of people don't understand how much control there is. And if, if you as a developer are trying to do something that doesn't quite fit within the guidelines that Apple has, has said, you run the risk of getting your app taken off the app store of it never even getting on the app store. And if you're trying to build a business on this, uh, I think, you know, you're at the risk of having your whole business destroyed. And, um, you know, I used to follow Twitter for 10, 10 ish years from, uh, 2009 to about 2019 of sorts, you know, all sorts of developers coming into these weird, uh, pitfalls with their development. So they would come up with some idea and it would just run afoul of whatever rules Apple had. And it was this weird thing where uh, they, they actually couldn't put their app on the App Store. And it would it, sometimes it would destroy their business. And it's kind of came to a head probably two years ago with Epic. Um, so I don't, have you heard of the game Fortnite? Uh, yeah, my kids play used to play that game when I let them play video games. <laughs> so Fortnite is a multi-platform game. And that means it's like on Xbox, PlayStation, uh, but it's also on the iPhone, the iOS app store. And so that means that if you have an iPhone, you could play Fortnite. And so in one of the cool things about Fortnite is that, um, you know, not only is it just a, an interesting idea and a shoot 'em up game, but the whole game itself is actually free. And in order for them to make money, they sell you costumes and little dances and stuff. So things that don't kind of affect the gameplay, but are sort of uh, feathers in your cap, if you will. Um, and so, you know, Uh, Epic makes gobs of money from selling these little uh, dances and and characters. 
But you know, on the iPhone, Apple gets a thirty percent cut of that. On Android, Google gets a thirty percent cut of that. So Epic was, you know, uh, credit card processing is really like three to four percent. So there's a, a huge margin in there that these platforms are taking. So Epic was trying to uh, make sure that more of that money went to them because you know it's really difficult to design skins and little dances. So they tried to have their own payment processor, and they have, they actually got kicked off the iPhone App Store. Uh, there was a big court case about it that they lost uh, again because it's Apple's app platform. So, but you know, it's it's again it goes back to the control that corporations have over our lives that we may not understand. Where something is ubiquitous as the iPhone, ubiquitous as the an app store, these companies really dictate what goes on to that uh, and can affect it. And so, I think one interesting thing that Apple did recently is this app tracking transparency. So I, again, this is a, a I think a noble idea of trying to keep track of what advertising advertisers can can data they can get on you but they basically made it so that you can't uh, track people across apps and this used to be a huge way for someone to advertise on Facebook you would click a link uh, you know the, if you made a purchase that that could be tracked and so they would have an idea of what kind of people would be interested in certain products and you know as I think a lot of small businesses uh, like that kind of tracking when they said well we would like to advertise to people who like I don't know, ponies or something, and then they could sell horse bridles. So you're like real small niche products, um, but now that's not possible anymore. So the whole like advertising e- ecosystem has been thrown into uh, chaos because of Apple's decisions. Um, well, it, to me, it kind of sounds a little bit like like the marketplace, right? So like I talk a lot about corporations and how they work with government to write regulation to keep people out of the marketplace. This sounds like an example of where Apple has created its own marketplace and written its own regulations to keep people out and kind of decides who is in and who is out. You know, maybe maybe there's a, some specific formula. Maybe it's at a whim. Maybe it's political. Who knows? But I think the idea is if we're a capitalist society and we believe in the free market is that we should have markets that are free. I mean, regulations are good to an extent, right? But over-regulation burdens society and and it stops like entrepreneurship it stops creativity and like as a society of americans who want to be successful and have america be successful shouldn't we want to engage our citizenry to be creative and have the opportunity to be creative in a free and open marketplace oh absolutely and i think that's the problem because now you can sort of look at the the problems of epic or something and you can uh, complain to your congressman you can lobby really strongly to get certain rules in place. And so I think, you know, it's, you're absolutely right. Apple has every privilege and every responsibility to manage their platform. But what's happening now is that because it's so big, it's coming the attention of, of uh, people in Congress who want to start writing rules to regulate it. So my argument about this is that we've got, we've had this tremendous growth and this tremendous innovation. Um, Apple has this platform. Google has this platform. I think it's totally unreasonable for the government to come in and, and try to regulate this. Like you're right, like it's their platform, it's it's kind of their walled garden, if you will, and they're with all within their their privileges to sell a product that's incredible, and they happen to be one that's incredibly successful. So they have the ability to make these rules and put it in place. And I think the fact is, uh, you know, my problem is with it is Congress is going to come in um, and try to put some antitrust in there, try to put some regulation and stuff to freeze everything and codify it as opposed to kind of letting the market take over and sort of let things uh, grow, let things die and just let the natural market forces 
uh, operate as they should. Yeah, I mean, because you think about it and you say, okay, well, Apple's this big corporation. And, you know, I talk a lot about corporations and people maybe think that I don't like them, but that's not really the case. I just, I want both to exist, right? Large corporations, big, it's in small, realistically, we need smaller corporations, just more corporations, just smaller ones, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, the idea is, bringing power close to people, bringing decision-making close to people. And when you have a big corporation, you pull, that, you pull people apart from that. Um, small corporations would make a difference. And this actually, you know, having less regulation in this market of more open marketplace allows for more competition. It allows for smaller businesses to enter the market and compete and grow uh, with the, the bigger corporations. And because of the, you know, what we were just talking about, it, like you said, it just makes it harder. And uh, people... You know, sometimes I think entrepreneurship is really stopped before it starts because people just know how hard it is to get in. So they don't even try anymore. And that's really a negative on our economy and our society. Yeah. And technology is one area where there's a lot of uh, there, there is less friction to start a company. So, I mean, like I like I just say in the article, I'm one of those people who put an app in the app store 10 years ago, hoping I could get a lot of people to download it and eventually become a millionaire. Uh, and as I say, I'm still waiting, but you know, like there's a lot less <laughs> friction in there. And so you can actually, you you can try something and you're like, with just a regular brick and mortar business, there's so much more that you've got to manage. I mean, like when you have to hire employees, um, the whole like pay, and you would know this, so I'm, you could probably talk about it better, but I think like payroll, healthcare, those are incredibly oh, yeah. expensive things that you got to manage and incredibly onerous, uh, dealing with sales tax. One of the nice things about the Apple app store is they handle all the taxation for you you know it's 99 cents uh for an app and you get the you get that 60 70 cents and then apple does so much more for you so you know you you perhaps give up a little bit of control to be on their platform but you get a lot for that and i think that's just one of those trade-offs that the free market allows us to to balance yeah you just mentioned a word that i've been thinking a lot about taxation you know do you feel like we're an overtaxed society no, and I think you could argue that we're probably very undertaxed based on the uh, many services we get. Well, I would. So what I would say is, some are over and some are under, right? We're not a balanced tax society, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think a lot of that, the tax burden kind of falls on the middle class, um, smaller businesses, right? Because we don't have the means to hire the lawyers and accountants to find the loopholes because it's so complicated. Um, and I think that happens when you get an underrepresented society. So like one of the things I put out on social media this week is, do you feel represented? And I think the answer for a lot of people is no. And I think, I think it's been like that for a long time. Now, this ties back into what we talked about last week. Why 435, right? Because those are the people representing you. And I was trying to think of it, um, think of it this way. You've got, uh, you, you buy tickets to a show, okay? The venue safely holds 100 people but they sold 300 tickets, okay? You show up, they jam 200 people into the room, okay? Some people are, are now left out. They don't even get to see the show. They don't even get to be a part of it. And the 200 people that jammed into the room, they're uncomfortable and unsafe. And that's kind of like what our house districts are now, right? You know, you've got these house districts where you have you don't have enough representation there's too many people okay in a, in a, in what is supposed to be a small group and it's supposed to be a small group so the the representative can have the time and ability to listen to and inform their citizenry 
And now you, what you've got is you've got a whole bunch of people that are left out, a whole bunch of people that are uncomfortable, and we're kind of all a little unsafe, right, when we're not represented po properly. And, you know, if we have a problem with the tax thing, which I think a lot of small business owners and middle-class families would prefer a simpler tax code, who do we talk to? We can't get a hold of anybody, right? It's the IRS, right? We, they, but they don't have the means to write the rules, right? They're just like, I'm enforcing the rules. I don't agree with them either. I think it'd be much simpler if you did this. Like, I think most people think that way, but somehow it's just like not even a topic for discussion in most, in most, uh, you know, circles of politics. The topic is, well, we have to win, right? Which mm -hmm. brings me to something else I was thinking about this week, right? Is the, the idea of winning and it puts it on the party, um, and they say, well, you have to win so we can stop the other guy. And what it does is it co-ops power together, you know, because we talk about we, we've divided power in our society between the federal, the state and the people, the individual people. Right. And right. if you like, for example, in uh, where we live, we live in like the northern Virginia area. There's two major races um, going on for congressional districts. There's. Yesley Vega and Abigail Spamberger and VA7 and Hung Cow and Jennifer Wexton and VA10. And in both of those races on the conservative side, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican governor, has campaigned with both Hung Cow and Yesley Vega. Now, if you're conservative and you want your conservative values to be represented in Congress, you're, pro you're probably happy about this, right? Because you you think Glenn Youngkin's a strong conservative, you like him, he just won the governorship, and you want your side to win, right? But if we think about it from a different perspective and we think, okay, what is the purpose of the governor? To represent the state, right? Does he represent the federal? What's the purpose of the, the representative in our district? Well, he's, uh, I'll push back, like he's not a really representative per se. He's just someone who f carries out the laws of the Commonwealth. He's supposed to do what the representatives of the Commonwealth have allowed him to do. Well, that, that is true. That is true. And, and, and maybe, maybe a Senator would be a better example. They represent the state, but I mean, he carries out, he's the executive of the state, right? So he still is part of the state as opposed to the federal authority. Mm -hmm. They kind of come in, in uh, back and forth. Well, if you've got the, a state authority working with a federal authority together, how does that benefit the people? Right. Because if you teach that you join those powers together in order to get something done, what you're doing is you're kind of undoing the mechanisms of government that we have, which the whole purpose was to balance that power. So too much power wouldn't end up in the hands of one side. And so when the political parties, you know, try to kind of shape the way that we perceive politics and winning office as, well, you have to vote for our guy and you got to line all the reds up together. But when you're lining reds up or blues up, what you're doing is you're lining up power and you're weighting power on one side. And I think that in the course of human history, we can see that when you line up power on one side and it becomes off balance, bad things happen to people. It, it may be good. Okay. It might be okay at first, right? Because maybe good people lined up the power, but it's only a matter of time until bad people take over that power, right? Cause they're going to seek it out. And I think that, you know, as citizens, we should, we should at least ask questions about that. We should, you know, why are you doing this? And do you think it's good for our long-term politics to, you know, kind of co-opt the power together and, and move it around? That's actually one of my favorite signs I've seen in yards is the stop one party rule. Have you seen those signs? I haven't. Those are, yes, we should absolutely stop our one party rule. And the, you know, the party is just the party, right? Like it doesn't matter which one. That's what they want. <laughs> That's right. No, it's, it's all just about, it's my party 
uh, as opposed to your party. And I just find it ironic because you're right. The whole sign is about stop one party rule, but in reality, all they would care about it is complete one party rule. Just my team being the one on offense calling the shots. Well, and, and if you think about it, like that's kind of what led to the civil war, right? It's not like the one, it's kind of like the one party rule. So remember in Rome, they had the federal and the state authorities in the United States. We had the federal state and individual authorities, right? And starting around the Jackson administration, when Calhoun left the vice presidency to fight for nullification, he created this state's rights argument. Now, the purpose of that argument, if you read, you know, the details, right, the letters between each other is kind of to preserve and expand slavery. This is a political objective of theirs. And they use the I think we talked about it before, the partisan Van Buren Democratic machine to create that. And what they do is they co-opt the people into believing that it's their interest, the state's interest, like that they belong to the state when they actually belong to the federal. Okay, and they by joining those powers together. They started to like undo the mechanisms of Republican government by and working their way towards like the Kansas and Nebraska Act, bleeding Kansas, and all these different large, you know, conflicts that we had that eventually ended up in the Civil War. And it's it's because our leaders guided our people incorrectly. They mm-hmm. they taught them wrong. And I think that's kind of what you see in our society, but different, right? Because in the you know, between the capping of the house in the early 1900s and then also the 17th amendment where you took the power away from the state legislatures to, to for the senators and you gave them to the people so you kind of reversed that where you co-opted the people into believing that this this to get something done they go through their senator but that's again that's not how it's supposed to happen they should be going through their house rep they're divided they're dividing their focus they're dividing their time and um it confuses them because you know we're just individual citizens right we have a lot of family obligations work obligations we shouldn't have to focus so much on all these different races it kind of it's over communication it's overworking us and mm-hmm. we're not able to focus on what we you know our real purpose of the house right and hopefully at some point you can you, you know you've got ideally you've got great people leading you so that you don't have to worry about it like you you can trust that they're gonna make their best judgment and think uh, for you and and you know, maybe make tough decisions that you wouldn't agree with if you, because you don't know all the facts. Yeah. And that's actually a great point for uh, something else I was thinking about. <laughs> I think a lot, John. So like I was thinking about Republican and Democratic government, right? And I was thinking Republican government funnels power down and Democratic pro- government funnels responsibility up. Now power is responsibility, but responsibility is not necessarily power, right? So we have a Democratic Republic that blends those two things together. So our republic puts the power as close to the people as possible, but our people decides who handles that responsibility. Because remember, responsibility is power. And we vest that into one individual in the house to make our decisions for us. And they represent us in a larger body. Um, and I just think that's it's really, un- really important to understand how that works as far as differentiating between power and responsibility and also combining the two and understanding that if if you have somebody in your district running for office, they're responsible to listen to you and they're responsible to inform you as well. And, and, and it's our responsibility as a citizenry to hold them accountable, right? That's where our focus, as opposed to the presidency, which we talked about last week of every four years, focusing in on that, we really need to get back to, back to the bare bones, back to the, uh, back to the future. (laughs) 
<laughs> you repair our republic. The the old and the new, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's the way it used to be. It's the way it should be if we're going to move forward. Back to the future, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I heard that you uh, you did some family stuff this weekend. I think every well, one of the things we have been trying to do is make Sundays more of a family thing. So uh, I don't know if you've got wedding china, but I, I know a lot of people get china for their wedding. Um, and they often don't use them. So we, we've been making an effort to use it for like Sunday brunch. So I've been making brioche French toast. So that's one thing. Um, but then I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about the playset that I moved from our old house to our new house. Um, yeah. and part of that playset design were these, uh, monkey bars and the plans that I had recommended the set of monkey bars that I had gotten, but they happened to be like two inches too short. And so the monkey bars never got put on. And it's been like five years since the original playset was built. Um, and the kids often remind me that the monkey bars don't there. So, you know, promises made, promises kept. Just this Sunday, well, I guess Saturday, I went to Home Depot and got the dowels to build it. Uh, and it kind of figured out a design for sort of retrofitting some kind of monkey bars in there with a, a different sort of support system. So I finally got that done. The kids loved it. Um our oldest son, Paul, was the inaugural person to run through them. And hmm. um, he got the last one. And I this is I kind of mismeasured it. Uh, hmm. So I had to go back and redo it. But he got on the platform, lost his balance, fell down, landed on his arm. And I thought I heard a pop. And my first thought was like, well, I should go get in the car to take him to the ER. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, it was just a, a minor sprain. But um, <laughs> that was the drama after the monkey bar incident. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's, it's always important. And I know that I know how much of a struggle it can be, especially when you got a lot of kids and you have a lot of people to like take care of. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that are like more entertainment based, they kind of get forgotten sometimes or put to the side because of something more important is going to happen. And every once in a while you get those things that, oh, no, it's been three years I've been making that promise. I need to get that done. And it's great. You know what I'll tell other fathers and what I try to tell myself is. If you it, the most important thing is keeping the promise, just don't forget. And if you do forget, just admit it and then move on and, and make an amends. Um, and I think that's important both as a parent and, you know, with our politics, right, with our leaders. If they make promises, they should just be like, oh, I forgot about that. Or I was I failed at getting that done and I'm going to do it this way now or something. Um, so it's great that you were able to get that done. Well, that's one of the things about promises, too, is, like you know, you got to be very careful when you make a promise because, you know, your word is only good as, as how you're going to follow through with that. So if you're constantly promising your children that you'll do X, Y, or Z, and then you end up never following through on it, you know, I think that can damage the relationship too, because they'll learn, they'll become, they'll come to learn that A, they can't trust dad. And because dad is so key in forming how they interact with society, they're going to start to not trust people around them. And then that leads to kind of a downward spiral that uh, can can affect them and how they interact with with everyone else. Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, factor right there. I, I didn't think about that. Um, so, and you had a family reunion, is that what you said? Yeah, we did. A, so we did a family reunion. So my family is very local, um, but we have this. Uh, so my last name's Mayhew. The family is my that we had the reunion for is the House family. Um, they live in Knoxville, most of them. And then you know it was all the extended. Um, people that I met some people that I hadn't, or at least I didn't remember cause I was kids last time I saw them, right. That maybe live in Fredericksburg or travel from outside. And it was this really interesting experience because 
I study a lot of history, right? But I hadn't really studied my family history, like my personal family history. Um, it's just, it happened before, you know, I really got into studying the, the family events before and I just didn't care as much as I do now. And uh, it was really interesting to be able to talk to family about like, why did they come here? What were they doing? Um, you know, our family, this side originated from Germany and, you know, they came in and like the, the first guy that lived here from my family, like he had like 16 kids. So he just immediately right off the bat created, he was the only son and he had 16 kids, right? And so he created this large family that broke up and kind of spread across the Northern Virginia area. And then, you know, we, it's, it's weird when you get together with family because we're a very factionalized society mm-hmm. and you get together and you're very different, but you're all the same. You have the same core principles and values all in one room. And we had, I had great discussions with some family members about like education and like how we think the next generation is a little entitled and how maybe the last generation is kind of the fault for that because they entitled them. Right. (laughs) And meanwhile, all of these generations are in the room having these conversations together. And so everybody was labeled uh, by their generations. I was a seven. Okay. So my dad is a six. I'm a seven. Now, a lot of the people that I grew up with, my age and my family, are sixes. They're my dad's generation. And when I stood up, I was by far the oldest seven, okay? Mm. I'm 37. The youngest uh, seven was an infant in a crib. Wow. <laughs> and so, like, I have I have this picture. Maybe I'll share it uh, with us. So me and my wife are standing there, and then it's just a bunch of kids. Like, we're the only adults. And I was explaining that to my daughter because she's the oldest eight, right? Because I'm the oldest seven. That mm-hmm. makes her the oldest eight. Um and my dad is like the oldest six, right? It, we're just, and I've, I've always felt like that. I feel like I'm in between generations because I, and that's maybe a, why I've always felt like an old soul is because the older generation is actually raising me. You know, the people that are older than me, that's, you know, um, the, like the, the 30, fifth generation then. Right. Yeah. Is, is really the ones, uh, raising me. And I was telling my daughter, I'm like, this makes you automatically makes you a leader society made you a leader circumstance made you a leader and she's like why and i was like well think about it if something terrible happened like one of those apocalyptic situations where like the adults are gone i was like you're the oldest in your group you're the oldest in your generation everybody's going to look to you simply because you're older so therefore you have a responsibility to keep up to date on your reading to make sure that you're listening and paying attention so you can be a good leader if the situation ever arose that's fascinating. That's an interesting tie-in. I mean, like, I'm sure you heard this Queen Elizabeth die, but like, you know, you a lot of people were telling her stories and stuff, and the fact that she wasn't ever supposed to be queen, but it ha- just circumstances that her uncle abdicated, her father died as a young age, and she just kind of fell into the role and had to to sort of deal with it. And I I think that's so so common in our lives is uh, you know there, there are circumstances outside of our control that. Uh, can have a profound influence on uh, what we do. Um, and I, you know, I'd, I'd say I'd point to this congressional race, the fact that you ran and I ran, and that, that's how we met and got this going. Right. Where are you at? In, so with your generation, where do you fall? Because you've got a big, you have a lot of siblings, right? You know, I love the fact that you're numbered. We have no numbering system. I just know that um, on, well, so like my grandmother's, father as a mccardle and he sort of has like a he came out of the west and no one really knows where he came from apparently that he had some like family on the east coast that maybe he ran away from and that's as far as we know um on my 
father's mother's side, he was, uh, this is one of my favorite stories. He was a, a German tailor. Um, he fought in, for the Germans in World War One. ended up being in a, a French prison camp, uh, which I'm incredibly grateful for because I'm sure he would have died otherwise. And then after the war, he realized like he had to leave Germany. So he had relatives in uh, on the East Coast when he got here because he didn't know any English. He decided to, the, the, I guess his, um, his relatives recommended that he go to Sheboygan, Wisconsin, because there was a German uh, settlement there that he could speak German and, and run a trade. And that's Wait, where my grandma grew this? up with her four other sisters. Um, and then on my uh, my dad's father's side, he was kind of the first to go to college. So, uh, you know, like there's lots of little stories like that. I don't know the, any of the numbers and stuff, but it is fun to, to learn that history and, and to understand that. And I guess um, my parents are moving, so they've been going through boxes. And I just saw a picture of my great-grandfather's father, who was a potter in Germany. So, you know, there's a um, kind of a, I feel like as a programmer, I'm sort of a, a modern tailor, so modern potter. We're both, we both have German ancestry, mm-hmm. right? And and that's one of the things I kind of, I didn't necessarily learn it yesterday, but I just remembered it, right? Because it connected to me is there was a big immigration wave of, of Germans in the like late 1700s, early 1800s, right? Mm-hmm. And so like that, that kind of sparked my interest. Like I need to learn more about Germany now, right? Because that's where my roots are, which, you know, I kind of knew, but again, wasn't paying enough attention to it because I've, you know, been a kid realistically for most right. of my life. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. You know what? Uh, you know what happened at my family reunion yesterday that I wanted to share? So they were talking about uh, uh, our family member that kind of runs the event. He's he's really detailed. He's got a great knowledge of genealogy and everything. And he was telling people because he's like he's ready to move on. He's he's talking to us like, hey, look, the next generation needs to step up and carry this. And he's giving us pointers on where to look. He said the census is a great place to find this information and he's going on about all the information he found on the census he goes that proves the census is doing its job and i was just i stood up and i was like that is not what the purpose of the census is right and then that goes back to like our leaders teaching us wrong right like our parents are supposed to shape us our politicians should be shaping us as well by teaching us the right things and what's the census supposed to be for john because it's not to find genealogy is it's it it's supposed to make sure that we are adequately represented so we are adequately represented we do this every 10 years so congress can look at the numbers and go we need more or less representation to make sure that we are balanced represented society but I think they stopped doing that at some time period, right? It was like maybe 1911. They like did this thing called capping the house, <laughs> <laughs> but they still do the census every 10 years. <laughs> Tradition. Uh, well, it's so that they can appropriately gerrymander the districts uh, to make it's sure so they that can... they stay in power. That's exactly why they're doing it. It's insane. <laughs> this reminds. Just... So I've been reading this book called "Are Your Lights On," and it's it's an engineering book, but it's all about how to solve a problem by asking the right questions. And right. I've been Why following you on Twitter, Jeff, and I think there's one question that you, you like to ask. And I think that's, uh, I think, you know, if you could enlighten the audience, what is this question you keep asking? Why 435, right? Because look, I have had lots of conversations with people about this in politics. And what I can determine is they don't know. They don't know. They don't and know. their job is to know. Right. Like that is like one of their number one jobs is to know the answer to that question. And uh, I think that every single American should be asking why 435 to their representative until we can do two things. 
get an answer, an adequate answer, mm -hmm. and make them see that maybe 435 isn't the right number, right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe we need some more. Because remember, the population has tripled, and people equal power. So that means each house seat has gained three times the power since 1911. So the congressman now holds three times the more power than the congressman did in 1911. Do you think they want to let that go? Absolutely not. Because that's our power. That's the people's power. Yeah. And now it's controlled by lobbyists and... It's controlled by lobbyists and consultants. All right. Well, this is a good episode. Kind of like just... With that happy riff. note, yeah. Yeah, with that happy note. But I mean, I just... It's funny now because I see it everywhere in life now. People just kind of misunderstanding the way that government's supposed to work. And we all just kind of accept it, right? Even mm -hmm. at a family reunion. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'll just... You know, since we're kind of negative, I'd say, you know, the reason that we care so much about representation, you know, today is September 11th, and it's important to remember our country, to remember things that have happened. You know, and we're doing this out of love for our country because we, I think we're a great place and we want to repair these issues that have gone untended and can lead to, you know, huge problems and are leading to huge problems. And we want to fix that. You know, like this is to make things better, this is to make a better country for our children, you know, talking about generations, you know, for generation number right. nine, generation number 10 of the maze. Yes, exactly. And, and look, we, you know, we talk a lot about the negative here, but the fact that we live in this country, like it's the structure, it's those things we want to go back to that balances power out to a larger degree of the people that gives us an opportunity to like live amongst ourselves the way that we see fit. That makes us great. Those are the things we're really working for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, yeah, maybe there's some bad things that happen along the way, but I, I find that there are there are a few bad men that co-opt good men into doing bad things, and then there's just a lot of people that just don't know what they're doing realistically. And if they just if they understood, if you you know, they probably jump on some better ideas and move us in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, that is it for us today, John. It's been a long day. And what are we what are we doing here at the end of the show? We had a little conversation about that. Like subscribe and share is that what i'm supposed to say like comment like, and subscribe like comment and subscribe right uh we got our Substack. we've got our podcast um yeah anything to add tell your friends end of the september our madison republicans meeting if you're in the north virginia area get in touch we'll uh we're happy to have you come yes absolutely reach out uh via email or twitter i am and i'm on twitter all the time so that might be the quickest way to reach me at jeff mayhew uh, at J Jeff Mayhew 28 and then at Madison REP uh, for Madison Republicans. All right. Peace and love. <laughs>